Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with the show for every team in LA and much, much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and in episode 48 of the Everything USC podcast, my guest is someone who was supposed to be on the show a few weeks ago, but when the football game against Cal was postponed, so was his appearance. Roxy Bernstein is a play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN and the Pac-12 Network, a guy who grew up in Northern California like myself, and while I went south to USC, he stayed near home and attended UC Berkeley. Roxy, it's great to have you on the Everything USC podcast. Thanks for having me, Nara. Looking forward to it. And of course, if you enjoy listening to this show, please subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more. Or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, find and follow me on Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Roxy, let the people know how they can connect with you on social media, or if you got anything to promote, get it out there. I make it easy on Twitter, at Roxy Bernstein, all one word, R-O-X-Y-B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N. What am I promoting? I'm doing the SC basketball game Wednesday night against Utah. I'll be in Vegas for the Pac-12 championship game, doing the national radio. Oregon and Utah. So they're keeping me busy right now, which is a good thing. I'm I'm not complaining considering after what the last year and a half, two years has been like, I'm happy to be back on the road doing what we do. Always good to stay busy. Yeah, good busy too. Not the alternative, but it's been great. It's, you know, still at times a little uneasy being on the road, but hey, we we make the adjustments. We do what we got to do. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the rest of the NBA season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code. Believe 50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. In a stunning turn of events over the weekend, USC's future went from uncertain to amazingly hopeful in less than 24 hours. After yet another home loss, this time to the BYU Cougars on Saturday night, Trojan fans were resuscitated with the news on Sunday that Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley was leaving the Sooners to head out west to Los Angeles. Hired Sunday, introduced at the Coliseum on Monday, Riley leaves Oklahoma after five seasons, a 55-10 overall record. He won the Big 12 in his first four seasons as the head coach and went to three college football playoffs and four New Year's Six bowl games, 
although he did go 0-3 in those college football playoff semifinals. He was 10-2 this season after losing on Saturday night in the Bedlam game to Oklahoma State, 37-33. He's had a top-10 scoring offense every season at OU, including those two seasons before he became head coach when he was the offensive coordinator to Bob Stoops. And this year, he's just outside of the top 10 at a tie for 11th with SMU. So according to USC Athletic Director Mike Bone, Riley was USC's number one target all along. And Roxy, what was your reaction when you heard this news come out on Sunday? I was stunned. I was sitting, get preparing, getting ready for, I did Stanford and Colorado basketball Sunday night. And, you know, you scroll through social media from time to time. And all of a sudden I saw the blurb that Lincoln Riley to USC. What? Like my eyes popped out of my head. I was in shock. I mean, you hadn't heard his name really at all. And Mike Bowen and his staff did it very secretively, which is great for a coaching search. Because you just didn't think that Lincoln Riley would be on the radar, right? He had a great job at Oklahoma. Why would you leave a great job? No, SC is a great job. Don't get me wrong. But why are you leaving a great job that you're competing for national championships? And you mentioned the success that they've had in, in being in the college football playoff. You were hearing the names, whether it was James Franklin, Matt Campbell, Dan Quinn's name had popped up recently. So those are the names you're thinking. Maybe a Kalen DeBoer Washington ended up hiring from Fresno State. And then, I mean, I know Kirk Herbstreit floated out there, hey, what scenario where Brian Kelly could go to USC? And now he's at LSU, which is, I think, just as stunning. But it was an impressive, a significant hire, not just by USC, but for Pac-12 football, that the commitment from USC was made to go get one of the top coaches in the game. And that leads me to my next question. How impactful is this hire for USC, the Pac-12, and just across the college football landscape? Because like you mentioned, LSU felt the need to respond in a big way, and they go and get Brian Kelly from Notre Dame, with Notre Dame possibly on the verge of making the college football playoff this season if things break their way in this coming weekend. So that's a stunning move. It just has reverberations all around the world of college football. No question. And it's a significant statement in sending a message from the West Coast that we're players out here. Look, Oregon's going to have success. And Mario Cristobal's done a great job recruiting, and they're playing in the Pac-12 championship game against Utah on Friday. But USC draws the eyeballs. Like, the casual football fan, they're tuning in to watch USC. It's just one of the blue blood elite names that you associate college football with. And it's good for the league when USC is good. And I think it commands the respect nationally. When USC is not good, people just assume the league is down. And now I don't necessarily subscribe to that theory, but that's the perception that if USC is good, the league is good. It's better for the league when USC is good. It's like UCLA basketball or Arizona basketball. When those two teams are good in hoops, the league is perceived as good. Well, the same thing in the Pac-12 needs USC to be good and by making this aggressive move to go get Lincoln Riley, it's a significant statement by USC that we're tired of what we've been seeing. And nothing against Clay Helton, who had some success early in the previous hires since Pete Carroll has left. But this is a significant move. And one of, I think, the biggest coaching hires we've seen, not just in recent memory, but you go back through the years of what was the Pac-12, 10, even before that. 
this is a significant move for the league. And it's just stunning in the way it happened and how quickly it happened with no word having gotten out before. Obviously, there's been back-channel talks with Lincoln Riley's representatives. You don't make a deal this quickly without having talked to his people, engaging an interest there. So what do you think are the motivations behind Lincoln Riley leaving, like you said, a great job at Oklahoma where he had a ton of success to come out here? Obviously, a lot of people think with the move to the SEC impending for Oklahoma, tougher competition there. When he talked to Colin Cowherd this morning on his show, basically said it had nothing to do with it. Although I think that's something that you can question. Why would Lincoln Riley leave a top five job in college football for a job that maybe should be a top five job, but hasn't been in recent years? Well, if you look at, okay, the SEC landscape, if he stays, look, he was intimately involved with those discussions. He knew what was going on when they were dumping the Big 12 for the SEC. But you're going into a league where Texas, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, et cetera, Tennessee, it's some stiff competition. Not that there's not stiff competition out here, but you have the, the number one job in the Pac-12 if you take the USC job. And I think that's part of the attraction for Lincoln Riley, that you have the number one job in this conference, where if you're Oklahoma going to the SEC, it's not that cut and dry. It's not that easy. So I think that factored in for him. And Arlen, let's face it, at the end of the day, do you want to live in Norman, Oklahoma? you want to live in Manhattan Beach or Hermosa Beach or Marina Del where, wherever he wants to live in Southern California, right? And that... The quality of life, and I guarantee you, his wife, the kids, everything was considered. We want to move to California. We want to be out there. I think that that was a resounding yes. Also, nothing against Oklahoma, but we love California. And I'd much rather be in California every day than Oklahoma. So I think that factored in. But let's face it, the fertile recruiting ground in Southern California. A lot of his recruits recently have come from the West Coast. And he's hitting that pipeline pretty hard with some of the guys he had committed who are, it appears to be flipping already and coming to USC makes it a little bit easier on him when he's got players in his own backyard. And I think it's a much easier school to recruit to than Oklahoma is. Plus nothing against the quality of the education you get at the university of Oklahoma, but the USC degree comes with a lot of firepower behind it. And it's one of the best educations you can get anywhere. And we're lucky here in the state of California to have all these great universities like my alma mater, the University of California, which the, your friends across town there, the University of California, Berkeley is the number one public university in the world, not UCLA. But you have UCLA, Stanford. We're blessed to have all these great schools and USC is certainly one of them. And I think all those factors had to play in for Lincoln Riley's decision. Also, he's just 38. He's still young. This is a place where he can move to, have a long, fruitful career if that's what he chooses to do. Obviously, there's always been talk that maybe the NFL will come and poach him at some point. But if he was looking to stay at one place for a long time, have a lot of success, like you mentioned, he'd already been coming into Southern California and the West to take recruits out to Norman. You would think it'd be easier now to keep them at home at such a great school like USC with all the resources around the school, not just in athletics as they're building that part up that had been behind other schools for quite some time. That's being built up under Mike Bone. And a lot of times when there's family involved, like when the Luke Fickle rumors are out there, he's got a bunch of kids and a lot of them are getting older. 
to where they're almost in college age. And sometimes guys don't want to move their families when they have older children. Lincoln Riley's kids are still very young. A move from Norman to Los Angeles probably isn't going to affect them as much as if they were in high school kids or something like that. So that makes a lot of sense there. So now that Lincoln Riley is at USC, what are your expectations for how he will do as the Trojans head coach? Oh, I think it's going to be great. The track record is what it is. And look, is he ready to win right now? I don't know that because the league's pretty darn good. And you look at what Utah has accomplished under Kyle Whittingham and how consistent they've been. I think Chip Kelly clearly made strides this year at UCLA. We'll see what's going on at Arizona State. With all indications, our Herm Edwards is going to be back. So it's not like the Pac-12 South is going to be a bunch of pushovers. Arizona's getting better. I've seen them grow under Jed Fish in that first year. Carl Durrell had a good year last year. He was coach of the year. Okay, took a step back this year, but they had a very young football team. So the South is going to be tough. And then you look at the North, and certainly with what Mario's done at Oregon, the improvement that Oregon State has made under Jonathan Smith, Washington with there, I think they made a really good hire also. I'm a big Kalen DeBoer fan. I think he's going to do well there. So it's not like the league is easy. But he's going to step in. He's going to have talent right away. The interesting thing is what's going to happen at quarterback with all these quarterbacks that are on his roster right now with Slovis and Dart. You look at one of the kids from Oklahoma, are they going to want to follow him? What's going to happen? What's going to be the shakeout? But he's going to step into a good situation. Now, could he win the Pac-12 South next year? I guess it's possible. We'll see. You know, the transfer portal and everything shapes out. But he's stepping into just a fantastic situation, I think, at USC. And they're making that commitment now, financially to him, but for his staff, that they want to win football and they want to win big in football again. And so I think that's a huge key for them. Like I said, it resuscitated the program in the eyes of the fans, the alumni, a program that had been basically down in the dumps, suffering through what I've been calling a historic home schedule of shame in 2021 with all the losses at home. And all of a sudden, you get Lincoln Riley, and now everyone is back on the bandwagon for USC football. So again, the future will tell the story, but we're seeing these recruits from Oklahoma starting, like you said, to maybe flip their commitments. And if they're coming to USC, that can only mean good things in the future for the Trojans. You're listening to the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang. My guest this week, play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN and the Pac-12 Network, Roxy Bernstein. He is on to talk about, of course, his alma mater, the Cal Golden Bears. We'll be getting to that in just a little bit. But if you enjoy listening to the podcast, you can find it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Subscribe, download, and rate it. And go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, to find this show and so many others. Go on social media, at Believe Podcast, to find out more. To catch up with me, I'm on Twitter. Find and follow me at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Roxy, let the people know how they can connect with you or catch up with you. Best place, probably Twitter, at Roxy Bernstein, R-O-X-Y-B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N. And make it really difficult and challenging. Hi, this is Lope Patupu, former All-Pro linebacker with the Seattle Seahawks and two-time national champion at USC. And you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network.
And now on to maybe the negative news of the weekend, which was the 35-31 loss against BYU to finish off the home schedule. USC trailed for most of the game before a 12-play, 91-yard drive ended on a 10-yard touchdown catch by Gary Bryant Jr. with 11.03 left in the fourth quarter. And then the ensuing two-point conversion catch by Lake McCree, the freshman tight end who really broke through in this game, gave the Trojans a 31-28 lead. However, BYU would score with 3.57 left to go on a seven-yard touchdown run by Jackson McChesney, a guy who's not listed on their two deep, a guy who had barely played all season for the Cougars, and that put them up 35-31 for the final margin. USC's final possession ended with a five-yard pass to Gary Bryant Jr. on a fourth down and six from the BYU 15. Basically, as I called it, a typical ending for USC football this season. BYU's star running back Tyler Algier ran all over the Trojans, 21 carries for 111 yards and two touchdowns before he got hurt late in the game, which is why McChesney was able to come in and play the hero for the Cougars. For USC, quarterback Jackson Dart, the true freshman, making his second career start, 23-35, 248 yards and a touchdown, also added a touchdown on 28 yards on the ground. Bryant, five catches for 56 yards and that touchdown. McCree had four catches and 63 yards. The running game, Keontae Ingram was out due to injury, so Vavai Malapai stepped in 20 carries, 99 yards, and a touchdown. Darwin Barlow, the TCU transfer, had 19 rushes for 81 yards. And on defense, Kanai Mauga with a big game of nine tackles and an interception. But Like I said, it was a historic home schedule of shame this year for the Trojans. They fire their head coach, Clay Helton, after the loss to Stanford in Week 2. They have historically bad losses to Oregon State and Utah, and then the crushing loss against the crosstown rival Bruins before this game against BYU to finish it off, and... My brother has season tickets to the games, and he reported back to me that there were more BYU fans in the crowd than Trojan fans, which is thoroughly embarrassing, and that was the way the season was going until, obviously, the news of Lincoln Riley's hiring helped to brighten everyone's spirits. But when you have USC fans, friends of mine, fellow alums, and they're resigned to just feeling good about the effort that USC showed in playing BYU after the pathetic lack of fight against UCLA the week before, like I told some of my friends, like that's not the standard at USC. We should not be happy after playing well and losing to BYU at home. Have you ever seen the USC program at such a low depth like this before, obviously, the news of Riley's hiring? If we have, it's been a long time. Right, Petros used to joke with me that he was a captain of the worst USC football team ever. And look, those weren't great years, but I don't know if it was at this level, right? I mean, there were some down years for USC, but to get beaten significantly at home a number of times, that, I think that's the frustrating thing. And then I, I think when Mike Bone was looking up on the stands and seeing sparse crowds, just the momentum, the energy wasn't there, that was... I think, assigned to him and the USC Board of Trustees that they needed to make a a significant move to 
get some life jolted back into the fan base and into the program. And I think that's what the hiring of Lincoln Riley has done, that they were looking for that. So I'm anxious to see in, in the final game of the season coming up Saturday, if the team feeds off that this week. And they uh, look, I thought they put forward a good effort against BYU. BYU is a good football team. They've proven that, right? They've beaten right, for sure. Utah. They've had a lot of success, unfortunately, against the Pac-12 this year. 5-0. and oh. And they're quick to point that out to us. But I think from the USC perspective, now that there is a direction and that Dante Williams, you know, tried to hold the ship together as much as he could, but it was a very difficult situation to be in. And now that there is, I don't know, the coaches, the players' motivation to try to perform for Lincoln Rally, show what they can do in their last opportunity against Cal Saturday night, I'm anxious to see how they respond considering now that there is a direction for USC football. What do you think has been the biggest issue for USC in these losses this season? I just, for me, look, the Drake London injury didn't help, right? But the inconsistency at quarterback from week to week is Dart. Is it going to be Slovis? But the biggest problem I've had with USC the last few years, and I think we saw a bit of it finally Saturday night, is a commitment to the running game, right? That... You're USC. And look, I'm probably saying nothing to you and your listeners that you guys haven't discussed and broken down. USC does not need to do the air raid BS. They don't. It's USC. It's student body left, student body right. It's pounding the rock. And with all the talent that USC can get, you don't need to run a gimmick offense. Washington State needs to run a gimmick offense. It's just the way they have to operate because they're not going to get the blue chip guys that USC is going to get. So you're at Texas Tech. You need to do that kind of a thing. You don't need to air raid or run and shoot. USC, pro style, traditional, here we are, stop us. We're going to pound it right down. That's what I think of USC. And their inability to run the last few years, they need to recapture that identity. And look, Lincoln Riley is more of an air raid kind of guy, but that's not his true identity. And I think he can find the balance where we didn't see the balance from USC the last couple of years. And that's the funny thing because Lincoln Riley got his start in coaching yeah. at Texas Tech. He was a student there, was a walk-on, but then decided to transition right into being a student assistant under Mike Leach, ended up as a grad assistant, and then a full-time coach at Texas Tech. And so he came up in that air raid system, but then when he went to East Carolina, became an offensive coordinator under Ruffin McNeil there. He transitioned his offense into a spread offense, but not really an air raid offense anymore. And then he took that with him when Bob Stoops hired him at Oklahoma. He's refined it. And so it's a spread offense, but you will get running backs who will run the ball and show some physicality with the offensive line. So yes, it's not the old days of OJ Simpson and Charles White and Marcus Allen winning Heismans with student body left and student body right. but if you can get that physical nature of football back, and again, a lot of the pro teams now are running essentially a Lincoln Riley type of system anyway, you're going to be able to get this talent to come in, be successful, not only at the college level, but then groom them to be good professionals. We saw him do it at Oklahoma, getting back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and then a runner-up the year after those two guys with Jalen Hurts. So. He's proven he can do it, and he's proven he can recruit. Now he's going to get a chance to do it at USC, and that, I think, is what is leading to all the excitement 
for Trojan fans about that hire. So this is the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I am your host, Nara Wang. Pleased to have as my guest this week, a proud graduate of the University of California, Berkeley, and a play-by-play man for ESPN and the Pac-12 Network, Roxy Bernstein. You can catch this show on all of your favorite podcast directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you listen to the show, or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcast. To reach out to me and talk USC or any other sports for that matter, I'm on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Roxy, let the people know how to connect with you. At Roxy Bernstein on Twitter, at R-O-X-Y-B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N. And you know, Nara, just go University of California. Right now, after what's going on the last few weeks, we don't want to be associated with the city of Berkeley after what the way they've bungled this thing the last few weeks. And we're going to get to that right after this. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Lightbox. Say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a light price, $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but just are grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in bluish pink and beautiful blue, as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off, priced so they won't have to. They really do make any outfit sparkle. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox diamonds, never a dull moment. So it's time to talk about the rivalry between Cal and USC getting the play this game after it was postponed due to COVID issues among the Cal team. And as Roxy alluded to before this segment, a lot of the issues having to do with the city of Berkeley and how they handle this COVID-19 crisis. So Cal and USC both coming in with identical records, 4-7, and 3-5 and five in the Pac-12. The game on Saturday night, a late game, 8 p.m. Pacific start. Will be broadcast on FS1 and locally here on radio KABC 790 AM and the Trojans Radio Network, Sirius XM as well. Cal comes in, their head coach Justin Wilcox in his fifth year at the helm for the Golden Bears, 25 and 28 overall record, former USC defensive coordinator for a couple of years in 2014 and 15. And for those who remember, back in the day, he was a second-team All-Pac-10 DB for the University of Oregon in 1999, so his conference roots run deep. He took Cal to bowl games in 2018 and 2019. Looked like the program was on an upswing before, obviously, the 2020 pandemic-shortened season has kind of put a dent in things going into this year as well. And in the all-time series, USC has dominated 70 wins, 31 losses, and 5 ties. And that doesn't include the vacated win from 2005. But they did not play each other last season for the first time since 1925. It had gone 
uninterrupted from 1926 through 2019 playing each other. So the last game was in 2019, a 41-17 USC win up at Cal. In that game, Keaton Slovis completed 83% of his passes for 406 yards and four touchdowns. Michael Pittman Jr., 11 catches, 180 yards. Drake London, six receptions, 111 yards. Amon Ross St. Brown, five catches, 85 yards. All three of them had a touchdown. The Trojans scored 31 unanswered after the score was tied at 10 in the second quarter. But all those guys I mentioned will not be playing for USC this Saturday. So a completely different team will be traveling up north to play in the senior day game for Cal. And so normally this is where I go into kind of the key players to look at for Cal and talk about them. But since I have a Cal expert on the show with me, Roxy Bernstein, I'm going to let you handle that. Who should the USC fans be looking at and worrying about with this Golden Bears squad? Well, I'm anxious to see which Cal team shows up because they had been playing well in recent weeks other than the game at Arizona where half the team was wiped out because of the city of Berkeley and the COVID protocols. They played great against Stanford, beat Oregon State up pretty good, were great against Colorado, but then it was disappointing, and I didn't see that coming, where they had just a miserable second half against UCLA and were beaten soundly at the Rose Bowl on Saturday night. I'm expecting a much better performance. I'm expecting them to be up for USC and to finish the season on a high note, even though now bowl game's not part of the equation for Cal. Chase Garber's had been playing some terrific football until last Saturday night. The Cal quarterback had, to me, he played his best football that I've ever seen him play against Oregon State and Stanford, just as consistent. His reads were perfect. He played great. And then now it wasn't all on him and why they struggled Saturday night, but it's, it was a step back. I've been expecting him, what could be his final home game, he's got the option to come back if he wants, to play well Saturday night. I think they've got some pretty good firepower receiver, guys like Trayvon Clark and Cole Crawford. The freshman J. Michael Sturdivant has, in limited opportunities, impressed at times. I think that's where they have some depth and some experience. Nico Remigio, I think it's a big game for him, being an L.A. kid. I would expect him to come out with a great effort, what could be his final game also. Running back, Christopher Brooks has played well. I think Damian Moore is a bit banged up. On the other side, defensively, Cameron Good has had a fabulous season. Cal linebacker. To me, he's one of the top linebackers in the conference. A little thin up front. And then in the back end, Julius Hicks has had a, just a terrific senior season also. So those are some key guys for Cal. And, but I'm just wondering which team is going to show up Saturday night. I'm expecting the team that is going to come out motivated, locked in, the team that we saw against Oregon State and Stanford, not the one we saw against UCLA. And the funny thing is, you can ask all those same questions about USC. What team are we going to get? Is it going to be the team that came to play against BYU? Or is it the team the week before that laid a huge egg against UCLA? We seem to have that in common. We can't beat UCLA to save our lives, both of our programs here. But Garbers is also a guy who he didn't play great against USC in his previous matchups. But he's exactly the type of quarterback who's given SC problems. A guy who can run the ball get out of the pocket as well. And I mean, USC allowed Will Plummer to look like a dual threat quarterback. So Chase Garbers could easily hurt SC with his wheels as well. And Nico Remigio, like you mentioned, not just a threat as a receiver, but as a return man, one of the top return men in the country and special teams could play a big role in this game, in my opinion. 
And you didn't even mention the leading tackler for the Bears, Daniel Scott, the safety, fifth-year senior, and he's had three picks as well, so he's doing a great job for them on the back end. So when you look at it from the USC perspective, though, what does USC have to do to counter what Cal can do? Well, the blueprint has been to get in Garber's face. And can USC generate the pass rush Saturday night? Cal's offensive line has struggled at times. It held up great against Oregon State, who's, I think, got a really good defense. It held up great against Stanford, who's really struggled the second half of the year. But then last week, UCLA just got in Garber's face over and over again. He had no time, and it really made it difficult for him. Cal's offensive line has to hold up. So USC, for me, I think it's critical for them defensively to get pressure on the quarterback. They can do that. They can make life difficult for Garbers and the Cal offense to operate. And, you know, Cal's defense had been playing really well up until last week. Look, UCLA was able to run the football. Can USC do it? Cal's secondary has actually played better than I thought they would this year. They have some young corners oh, they're really high on. Lamagia Hearns. Isaiah Young has played well on the outside. You mentioned Daniel Scott. The secondary has been pretty good. But coming into the season, Cal was counting on some guys they haven't had all, for the most part all year. Brett Johnson was supposed to be a significant presence up front for Cal defensively. He was involved in an accident in the offseason where he had a significant hip injury. They were hoping maybe at the end of the year he could come back, but it's not happening. And they're just going to get him ready for next year. Dang is another one who was supposed to be a legitimate All-America candidate for Cal. Gets hurt early in the second game on what I, a lot of people viewed as a cheap shot from somebody from TCU, took out his ankle. He just was never able to get right. So those are two significant pieces that Cal lost defensively, but they still held, held up pretty well until last week. That needs to be better this week against SC. Can the Trojans continue to run the football with Malapai, whoever they're giving the ball to? And then a quarterback, can they use the run to set up the pass? And how will the passing game go against Cal? And so which receiver, whether it's Brian or whoever, is going to step up, make plays? I think they need somebody on the outside to step up. So with so much uncertainty around how each team is going to play, that's going to make this an interesting segment. We got to do our predictions now, Roxy. Okay. Because here's the story. On the season, I have clinched basically the win against my guests. I'm 14-9-4 and four overall on the season, picking against the guests, and we only have three picks. So okay. the option here is that we could do double points for this being the final game for both squads on the season. Usually I would do it for a bowl game, but obviously USC's not going to a bowl game this year. Neither is Cal. But if we want to make it interesting, we can do double points on each pick. That would give you a chance to sweep and let the guests beat me. Or we can just do it regular and I've already clinched. So do you want to make it interesting? Let's do it. Yeah, it would make it interesting for you. You know, look, I had nothing to do with my predecessors picking wrong this year. So give me a chance to knock you off. All right. So it's a double or nothing prediction segment for this final USC football game against Cal. I'll recap what happened last week. It was Thanksgiving week. So I brought on one of my first bosses, one of my mentors in sports media, the first job I got when I was at USC as a sophomore at Fox Sports, Jim Bernard. He was nice enough to come on over Thanksgiving weekend and talk USC football with me. And he beat me 2-1 on the picks. First, the players that we believed in. He got me because I was going with the game time decision of Keontae Ingram playing. I obviously bet wrong on that. He did not play, didn't suit up at all. So by default, Jim was going to win, but he took Gary Bryant Jr., who got the 
five catches and a touchdown. So not a bad pick by Jim. He took that one. On the game score, I was very down on USC. I had BYU winning in a blowout, 44-24. Jim went with the pride of USC. He had them taking it 35-28. So just because BYU wins, I got the win on that one. And then in our prop bet prediction, Nara's no-doubter on the week was that there would be a touchdown of 50-plus yards in the game. And I came close. Keanu Hill for BYU caught a 41-yard touchdown catch from Jaron Hall, but obviously that is short of 50. I did not get it. And Jim, looking up the numbers about turnovers for BYU this season, he nailed it. He said they would have two turnovers, and there were two picks by quarterback Jaron Hall. So he won the week 2-1. But like I said, I'm up 14-9-4. So now we're going to make it double or nothing with Roxy Bernstein. If he sweeps all three categories, then he could win it for the guests, and I will go down in a last-second loss then in this predictions segment for the season. But first, we begin with the players that we believe in. I'll start it off on this one, and I'm going with you, talking about how SC has to run the ball in this to be successful. And so I'm going Vavai Malapai as the player I believe in in his final game as a Trojan. I think he's going to go out with a bang and at least get into the end zone a couple of times. So he's the player I believe in for USC. Roxy, who is going to be the best player for USC? Who's the player you believe in? For USC, oh boy. You know, I'm going to go with Bryant. I'm going to to stick with him because not only did your esteemed former Boss, Mr. Bernard, pick him last week. I'm going with it again because I think if USC, they're going to have to move the ball. He's going to have to be involved. So I'm going to take him for the Trojans. Just He's such a young, dynamic receiver. So for USC's perspective, I'll take him. All right. So players we believe in, both on offense. I'm going with the running back, Vi Malapai. Roxy taking the wide receiver, Gary Bryant Jr. Now for the game score and winner. I'm going to let you go first, Roxy. Who wins and what's the score? I'm expecting the mighty Golden Bears to come out. And I think they're embarrassed by their performance last week. And they're going to come out, final home game. They've been through so much this year. And I, I think that they're going to dig deep down, find a way to win. So I'm going Cal 30, USC 20. All right. So going with the homer pick. Of the Cal Golden Bears, 30-20 to 20 over USC. I should mention that as of this show taping on a Tuesday, USC is a four-and-a-half-point underdog on Bet Online. Bet Online, of course, a sponsor of the Everything USC podcast. And the line started at two-and-a-half. So it's already jumped two points in the last couple of days to Cal's favor or disfavor, depending on how you're looking at it as a better. But I... I'm going to go with Cal to win. Yeah, I'm going against USC. I know that that's probably going to get me some grief, but I tend to be helping USC when I pick against them, I think, so far this season. So I'm going similar score, 30-27 Cal winning. So I have USC covering the now four and a half point spread between the Golden Bears and the Trojans. So we both are picking Cal to win, but by different scores. And then finally, the prop bet. For this week, Nara's no doubter, and I got to make it a good one now that it's double or nothing for this week. This could all hinge right here. I'm saying USC will have at least 400 yards of total offense in the game. So 
Nara's no doubter. USC going with at least 400 yards on offense. Roxy, what is the name of your prop bet and what's it going to be? I'm going with Cal forcing turnovers because that's how Cal's got to win. If Cal doesn't force turnovers, they can't win. It's about, if you look at the track record this year, so I'm going Cal's going to force three USC turnovers in the game. All right, Cal forcing three USC turnovers in the game. And we got to have a a fun name for your bet here. Oh, boy. I got to come up with a name now. Roxy's Thievery. Roxy's Thievery going for the turnovers. So Cal with three takeaways in the game against USC. So Roxy's Thievery is going to be that. So, all right, to recap the predictions for this week, the players we believe in, who's going to be the best Trojan in the game. I'm going with Vavai Malapai in his final game as a Trojan to go out with a big game. Roxy taking Gary Bryant Jr. to have another big game catching the ball. The game score, we're both picking Cal. I'm hoping that's going to be the reverse jinx, essentially, and give USC the win. But I have it 30-27 for the Golden Bears. Roxy picking his alma mater 30-20. to And then in the prop bet, Nara's no doubter. USC will have 400-plus yards of total offense, while Roxy's thievery is that Cal will force three USC turnovers. All right, it's going to be interesting, Roxy. Double or nothing on the line here to see if I can win this season against my guess on the overall score record in the prediction segment. So I might be sweating it out there at the end of the game. <laughs> Pressure's on. It's going into the final week. And I got to, you know, being a Cal person also, give full credit and thanks to Mike Bone and the USC administration for Dante Williams, forget this game played. USC could have easily have said, you know what, forget it. We don't want to play. Our season's going to be done. And I know, I'm sure there was a little coaxing from the conference, but I really think it was a class move by Mike Bone, considering what the Cal program was dealing with at the time. For them to reschedule the game and play it Saturday night, that was a great gesture on their part. Yeah, they could have easily just said, hey, we want the forfeit, we want the win, but they decided to make it up. And listen, Both teams were going to be off this weekend anyway. Neither team was headed to the Pac-12 championship game. So I think that's where, like you mentioned, maybe a little bit of the pressure from the conference. Like, hey, you guys going to have an open date. Let's just play the game. And it's great that both teams are going to be able to make it up, allow Cal to have a real senior day and all the festivities to go along with that. And I think it's important that this is a rivalry game and so many Cal kids from Southern California and the game means a lot to a lot of people I know around Berkeley. It's the Joe Roth Memorial game for the legendary Cal quarterback who passed away after a courageous battle with cancer back in the 70s. And every year when it's the L.A. school that comes up to Memorial Stadium because Joe is from L.A., that it's a significant game for a lot of Cal people. So I think it was important to get this game played for a number of reasons. But I think it's just great that USC was willing to do so. And this is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today, pleased to have on the ESPN and Pac-12 Network play-by-play broadcaster Roxy Bernstein, getting a chance to talk about his alma mater, the Cal Golden Bears. And if you enjoy listening to the show, subscribe, download, and rate it on all of your favorite podcast directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Go right to the website as well, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, to find this show and so many others. 
on social media at Believe Podcast, B-L-E-A-V Podcast. For me, I am on Twitter at Narrowang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. For the people who want to reach out to you, Roxy, where do they go? Twitter, at Roxy Bernstein. All one word. Make it easy. This is Jeff Trepanier, former NBA and USC basketball player, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. And for the final segment, I would like to talk to Roxy Bernstein about the USC men's basketball team. They've started out 6-0 and on the season. Their last game, they defeated San Diego State 58-43 in the championship game of the Wooden Legacy Tournament down in Anaheim. They've got games coming up this week, tomorrow, December 1st, against Utah at home, and then on Saturday, December 4th, up in Pullman against Washington State as the Pac-12 is doing something interesting, playing a couple of early conference games before going to the full conference slate in 2022. And Roxy, you were there in Anaheim calling the Wooden Legacy games for the ESPN family and networks. What is your early impression of the Trojans basketball team based on what you saw there? They're a really good team. Andy's got a good group, talented. But the thing that jumps out to me more defensively is their length and their ability to shrink the court. And they just suffocate you almost. And look, I think Ken Pomeroy did a study. They're the third tallest team in the country. They have seven guys that are 6'9 or taller, and they use that to their strength. And they make it really challenging. and difficult and makes the other teams uncomfortable running their offense. And we saw with San Diego State, it's a good team, and they've got some guys that can score the ball. And they completely took Matt Bradley, the Cal transfer, out of the game. San Diego State could never get any traction because of USC's defense. That's the first thing, Nara, that jumps up to me is how good they are defensively. And that's the funny thing, right? People think about Andy Enfield, this great shooting coach in the pros, and then as an assistant to Leonard Hamilton. But his best USC teams have been great on D, and that was the big deal with last year's team. And granted, yes, you had Evan Mobley, a guy who was cleaning up everything on both ends and is a superstar in the making in the NBA, already off to a great start in his rookie season with the Cleveland Cavaliers. But that is what he seems to be basing his success on, even though, yes, the whole Dunk City thing that he had at Florida Gulf Coast, and he's brought some of that. With the big, lengthy guys who are multi-talented, multi-positional, he's doing that with USC, and I agree. That game was a rock fight against San Diego State. (laughs) I mean, that thing was brutal, both teams, but USC was able to keep that defensive pressure on through the whole game, and the offense did enough to get it done and pull away in that one. So they don't have the superstar in Evan Mobley, but can this year's team be as good as last year's team? I don't know if they can be as good as last year's team because that was a special team. You go to the Elite Eight and the great run that they had in the NCAA tournament. Can they get to the Elite Eight again? Oh, I, I think that's possible. Yeah. As we know, come March, it's all about the draw, how you're playing, how the matchups go. But this is a difficult team to match up with. The way I look at the conference, I, I think that UCLA is the best team. Arizona's right there. And I think USC is probably maybe, okay, U- UCLA is like the A group and then the B group is Arizona and USC for right now. I want to see more from Washington State. They had a disappointing loss the other night, but I think they have the chance to be a really good team this year. Oregon has been a major disappointment so far. I thought they'd be better. And look, it's early and so many new parts and pieces for Dana Altman that he deals with this every year. 
they'll figure it out. He's too good of a coach and they have too much talent. So come February, it's a team you're not want to see come March. You don't want to play them. That's just the way Oregon has been. Although Andy Enfield and USC took it to Oregon in the sweet 16 last year. But I do believe that there is potential for deep tournament runs, not just from UCLA, but what I've seen so far from Arizona and SC. The difference for SC is, look, you had, no matter when SC took the court last year, Nara, they had the best player on the floor. And even if they had played Oklahoma State, I still would have thought they had the best player on the floor in Evan Mobley. That's not the case this year. Now, they have a lot of really good parts and pieces, and Isaiah Mobley is playing great. And I think Chavez Goodwin's played well early. Drew Peterson has had his moments, but Boogie Ellis is the guy that when they need somebody to step up and get buckets, he's the guy. And he didn't do it against San Diego State, but they didn't necessarily need him to. But he's going to have to make some big plays at times this year, and he's going to have to put the, the load on his shoulders from time to time for SC. Yeah, I think Chavez Goodwin is clearly the most improved guy from last year's squad. He's added that lefty jump hook that he didn't have in his arsenal last season. And he's been doing great on the offensive end. Boogie Ellis, the Memphis transfer, has come in and been a spark. He's kind of filling in the role of maybe what Taj Edie did for the Trojans last year. But he's bigger and more talented than Taj Edie. Nothing against Taj Edie, who was a good player for Santa Clara mm-hmm. and transferred in. But Boogie Ellis is a guy who could end up being an NBA draft pick, which Taj Edie was not. So there is the talent there. It was nice to see Drew Peterson get untracked down in Anaheim. He had been scuffling a little bit in the earlier games. We just have to see what Isaiah White does. He came back, but he hasn't been doing great this year and has been injured now for a couple of games. And there are some good young players as well who didn't get as much playing time maybe in those couple of games down in Anaheim. And we'll see how much they will play as the season progresses what Andy Enfield's rotation ends up being. He always uses these early games to kind of mix and match, play a bunch of guys, see what works for the Trojans. And you already kind of brought it up, but I do want to ask you, Arizona's been down maybe for the last couple of years. They've had the controversy swirling around them with the FBI scandal. Sean Miller's gone. They've now got Tommy Lloyd, the former Gonzaga assistant, in there. And like you said, they're off to a really good start. And the Pac-12, as it proved in last year's tournament like you didn't even mention Oregon State's run last year through March Madness and so it's going to be a tough conference you kind of broke it down for me and who is going to be that surprise team maybe out of the Pac-12 and you can say if it's USC because you think they're going to make a deep run or one of the other teams or just a team that's going to maybe jump up and make a run for the tournament out of the Pac-12 that people aren't expecting well We expected USC to be good, right? So I don't think that would be a surprise. I think the Arizona situation, people didn't know what to expect. But one thing is clear. Sean Miller left Tommy Lloyd some dudes, right? They've got some players. And Ben Matherin, Azulis Tabellis, Christian Coloco has improved leaps and bounds. And they're playing a different style. Sean Miller was very structured and ran a lot of sets. Where Tommy Lloyd's bringing that Gonzaga influence, a lot of motion, a lot of tempo. They're playing quicker, which I think plays into their hands because they have depth. Point guard is a little bit of an issue for them, but Kirk Reese is playing well. So can we, I mean, it's Arizona, but can we consider them a surprise? Maybe after the last couple of years, maybe because of the uncertainty with how Tommy Lloyd would do as a first-time head coach at a big program. And, uh, yeah, if you think they can make a deep run, I'd say that'd be a surprise. Oh, I do, I, I do think they can. I, I think they have the, the ability to do that. And then Washington State's kind of the outlier because 
it's been a few years since we put Washington State in the conversation. And the way that, you know, nerd ball that Kyle Smith plays up there in Pullman, Noah Williams emerging late last year, F.A. Abagidi, they bring in a really good recruiting class. They're good. Now, they, they burped one up against Eastern Washington the other night, which was lousy. They shouldn't lose that game. But they did. They're going to be fine. And I definitely believe that Washington State will be – when the Pac-12 preseason poll came out and they were picked eighth, I'm like, who the hell voted in this thing? Who You haven't watched Washington State if you think they're going to be eighth. You don't have a vote, Roxy? I did. I voted in, and believe me. No, I didn't choose them eighth. So I know Wayne Tinkle had the motto last year when Oregon State was picked last, we're not 12. Well, guess what? Washington State ain't going to be eighth. I'll tell you that right now. That's a good basketball team, and I expect them – at this point, to be in contention to get a bye in the first day of the Pac-12 tournament. Wow. So a top four finish, you think, in possibly... Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's very possible for the Cougars. All right. So keep an eye out for Wazoo on the hard court this year. And then the last thing I want to ask you, after getting to see USC down there in Anaheim, what do you think is the one key thing that has to improve for them to make another deep run in March Madness? I just think it has to be the ability to develop the secondary scoring, right? And assuming that Boogie's getting his points and Mobley's going to have to score, where else is USC going to get points from? Could Drew Peterson be that consistent guy? Can Isaiah White, when he comes back, and maybe he's back for the Utah game Wednesday night? I mean, Max Agbonpolo could be streaky. But where is that secondary scoring going to come from? They can defend, and because of how well they defend, they're going to be in every game and they're going to have chances to win. It's just a question of can they score enough and outside of Boogie, where are those points going to come from? And is it Ethan Anderson? Where are those secondary points going to come from and who can be that consistent third guy in double figures for USC? You know what? It might end up being a rotation of guys. One night it's Peterson, one night it's Goodwin, one night it's Ethan Anderson. Who knows who it might be? But as long as you're, you're right, they need a third guy every game to step up and help. And Isaiah Mobley can sometimes disappear offensively as well. And so that's a worry if he's off on a night. And if Boogie is the only one, then you need a couple other guys to step up. So I agree. I think that's something to look at when you don't have a guy like Evan Mobley, who even at times as a freshman deferred a lot, was a team guy, didn't always try and take over, which people were questioning him about. But they found a way to make it work. And by tournament time, they were on a roll and they got to the lead eight. That's what we're hoping to see as Trojan fans this season out of this USC basketball team. But it has been great chopping it up with Roxy Bernstein today. A little Cal-USC rivalry. I'm going to give you your final words here. Anything you want to say out there to the fans who are listening to this show? Maybe some Cal fans, but usually USC fans. What do you got as a message for them, Roxy? I think it's going to be a fun game Saturday night. Regardless, I just think it's because of the rivalry. And now I think there's a little extra juice with SD with Lincoln Riley hiring. And, and I think there's a sigh of relief from Cal that Justin Wilcox is staying. I know there are rumblings about him going to Washington and possibly taking another gig. He's staying, so I think that'll motivate the Cal people. So I, I think regardless that there isn't really anything on the line but pride and the rivalry, I still think we get a, a fun football game to watch Saturday night. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thank you again. So for my guests, Roxy Bernstein, I'm Nara Wang. Thank you for joining us for episode 48 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online. 
on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in L.A. and so much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as I end every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.